morning to be in worship. And if you'll be turning your Bibles to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 this morning, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, we'll be focusing on the verses 11 through 21. We're going to be focusing on the idea of getting back uh, to God, and um, this is exactly where we belong, getting back to God, getting back to where we belong. There's a key word in this uh, long paragraph here from verses 11 to 21, 2 Corinthians uh, 5, and that is the word reconciliation or reconciled. Uh, The word simply means to be friends again or to be back together again. You'll notice that Paul says in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5 that God has been working to reconcile man back to himself. He has given unto us, if you keep reading, He's given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. He's also given unto us uh, the word or the message of reconciliation. And then verse 20, there is the command there, be ye reconciled uh, to God. So our focus this morning is back to God and uh, back to where we belong. And we'll notice several features of this uh, tremendous subject. And so we'll just go ahead and get started. Uh, The first major idea is to think about our need uh, for reconciliation. Our need for reconciliation. Now, as we make our way to that point, I want you to think about this. There have been many scenes in the Bible of people coming back together again. I think about Jacob and Esau in Genesis uh, 33 and verse 4. You remember that Jacob with his mother Rebekah deceived Isaac so that the blessing from Isaac was pronounced upon Jacob instead of his older brother Esau. That created a, a riff, that created a, a separation, it created some hard feelings as Jacob and Esau were going to be meeting back together later. Jacob was very fearful about this meeting, he wasn't sure of the reaction of Esau, but if you notice in Genesis 33 verse 4 that the reunion was quite touching. They hugged each other. They showed a great deal of humility and respect to each other. They cried together. Same thing is found with Joseph and his brothers over in Genesis 45, verses 14 and 15, as Joseph finally revealed himself there in Egypt to his brothers. And he reminded them, or at least he expressed to them, that really in the big scheme of things, it wasn't you that sent me here. It was God to preserve uh, the remnant to preserve a life. And so they hugged and they, and they uh, cried together and they had a tremendous um, reunion there as well. In Luke fifteen twenty, you remember the story that Jesus tells about the prodigal son and he finally comes home and the father, representing God the father there in that story, but the father, Luke fifteen twenty, he runs as he, as he sees his son coming back home. He runs and he falls upon his neck and they embrace. And the father's so very excited and the son comes back home. He says, make me 
as one of your servants. I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned in your sight. Make me as one of your servants. And they hug and they weep. And the Father says, uh, let us celebrate because this, my son was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost and now he is found. And so let's bear in mind how important it is to be reconciled, but not just with each other, but with God especially. And so, first of all, we want to see the great need for reconciliation. The need to be back with God. When you think about the word reconcile, there are three stages in life that come to mind. When The first stage of life is when we come into this life as a little child, we are free from sin. We are just God's child. All throughout our childhood, we just belong to God. Okay? He created us. He brought us here. Okay? That's the first stage in life. That's the innocent stage of life. The second stage is when we become a young adult. And we begin to realize more about life. And we begin to know about God and sin and our responsibility before God. Then that's the time we become separated from God. So first there's innocence. We're with God. And secondly, there is the sin that separates us from God. And then the third stage of life that hopefully comes uh, to everyone is to understand this reconciliation. Okay? Coming back uh, to God. But what separates us from God is sin. Is sin. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 makes that very clear that our iniquities have separated, caused a separation between us and God, so much so that, that God will not even hear uh, our prayers. James 4 and verse 4 talks about how that the friendship uh, of the world is enmity with God. Whoever would make himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see, it is sin. It is sin. The reason we need to be reconciled back to God is because sin has caused a separation between us and God. In Ephesians chapter 2, 11 and 12, Paul expresses it in, in these terms. He says, those away from Jesus, they are alienated from Him. He says also they're separated from Him. He says that they are strangers to Him. He says that those apart from Christ, they have no hope. They're without God and they have no hope in the world. And so you see here that there's a great need to be reconciled to God because sin is in everybody's uh, life. Now a person may say, well, I hear what you're saying, but I don't really see my need uh, for God. I don't see my need to do anything different. Everything seems to be going well for me. Uh, I seem to be favored by God. He blesses me. I don't really see that need. The problem there is a lack of searching, a lack of searching. We must search the scriptures as never before, and we must search our own hearts. We must examine ourselves. We, we mentioned the prodigal son. He didn't come back home until we read there in Luke 15, 17, that he finally came to himself. It was after a great deal of searching. We must search the scriptures. We must search within our own soul. We must allow the scriptures to be brought into our lives 
and then look at ourselves in view of what God says about us. You see, there's a lack of searching uh, there. The fact is, some people get it and some people don't. Some people understand their need to come back to God. Some people don't. God leaves that up to us. We make that, that choice. In Luke chapter uh, 7, in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, Jesus came into the home of Simon the Pharisee. And Simon did not give him much of a greeting. He didn't welcome him as he would a, a normal teacher or normal person of society. He basically allowed Jesus to be in his home, but he didn't show him much respect at all. In fact, he had great doubts about Jesus. You know, he doubted that Jesus was indeed a prophet, uh, like everybody was saying that he was. But on the other hand, while Jesus was there in the home of Simon, a lady, a sinful lady, aren't we all? But a sinful lady came in, and she couldn't do enough to show her devotion to Jesus. She was weeping. Evidently, Jesus had met her prior to this occasion and forgiven her of her sins. And she couldn't do enough for him. She came in. She's weeping out of her gratitude. Her tears fall on Jesus' feet. She takes her hair and wipes his feet. She, she cannot do enough to show her devotion. And Jesus explains to Simon. He explains to him. In fact, we'll just go on down to, to Luke 7, about 48, 49. Jesus explains to Simon, to everybody listening, He said, now here's the difference between you, Simon, and this lady. He says, to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. To whom little is forgiven, the same will love the Lord little. And it's not about the amount of sins we've done. It's about how we view ourselves with our sin toward God. And... We know this lady in Luke 7, this lady, she saw her sins as God saw them. It reminds you of the story Jesus tells in Luke 18 also, verses 9 to 13, of the publican who went to the temple to pray. And he could hardly even raise his eyes toward heaven. He was so ashamed of himself. And he smote upon his chest and he said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so some people get it, you see. In that same story, Luke 18, 9 to 13, the Pharisee also went to the temple to pray, and he prayed all about himself, and he, told, he reported to the Lord, really, all that he had done, all the good things he had done. Well, see, the Pharisee didn't get it, the publican did. Simon, the Pharisee in Luke 7, he got it, he understood his need for God, uh, he didn't get it, but the woman who came in washing Jesus' feet Uh, she understood her need for God. Another example of this is found in Acts 17. Paul had come into the city of Athens and had preached up a storm. He had told about the true God and he had told about the Lord Jesus. He had told about the importance and need of repentance and turning to God, obeying Him. And it says there in Acts 17, 32-34 that that some just mocked made fun of Paul. Others listened and said, well, 
Uh, we'll hear about this maybe later on. Don't have time for this right now. But also it says there in Acts 17 that some did believe. Some did believe. And two names are mentioned here. One is Dionysius, and that was a man. And another was a woman by the name of Damaris. Damaris. Okay. These two, they understood it. They got it. They got it. Last Sunday evening we were talking about, from 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 17, we were talking about how that the knowledge of God brings out an aroma, a sweet aroma, fragrance from God. Okay. Uh, this fragrance comes to those who are being saved and also comes to those who are perishing. To those who have a good and honest heart who are being saved, then it's a sweet aroma. Okay. And they receive it into their lives and then they are able to live for God. But for those who are perishing who do not have a good and honest heart, it's like a stench. It's like a stench. It goes from death unto death. You see, some get it and, and some don't. So first of all, we see our need uh, for reconciliation. Secondly, uh, this morning, I want us to see the basis, in other words, the ground. The ground upon which reconciliation can happen. The basis of it. And that, of course, is the death of Jesus. The death of Jesus. Now, still having our Bibles open here to 2 Corinthians 5, notice verses 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 14 and 15, where Paul makes the statement, One died for all. You see that statement? One died for all. That is, Jesus died for all. In other words, Jesus stood in our place. Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death. We, we deserve death. We deserve to be banished from God. But Jesus stood in our place. Just about every time you read uh, about um, reconciliation in the New Testament, the death of Jesus is right there in the midst of it. For example... In Romans 5 and uh, verse number 10, Paul says, For if while we, uh, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, even so being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. So notice that in being reconciled back, back to God, uh, it was based on the death of His Son. Romans 5 and verse 10. Also Ephesians chapter uh, 2 verse 16 talks about how that both Jew and Gentile have the opportunity to be reconciled in one body through the cross. Through the cross. See? So coming back to God is possible only because of the death of Jesus. Okay. Notice that also in your Bibles in Colossians uh, chapter 1. I want to turn over there to this one. This one's not as familiar to us. In Colossians chapter 1, 21 and 22, you'll notice verse 21. You who were once alienated, see that? Alienated, separated. You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled, Colossians 1, 22, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death. See that? So the whole basis of this, we would not have a prayer, as we say. We would not have one uh, single hope 
of being able to come back to God without the death of our Lord Jesus. And you know this, and there are other passages that bring this out. One of my favorite is 1 Peter 2, 24. It says that Jesus, uh, in His own body, He bare our sins on the tree. That we, having uh, died to sin, we might live under righteousness. We were going astray. We were straying sheep, 1 Peter 2, 25. We were straying sheep. But because Jesus bore our sins on, on that tree, then we can return to the shepherd and bishop of our souls. You see that in 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. Just a tremendous uplifting uh, passage. Okay. And so notice here in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, the basis of this is that Jesus died uh, for all. Now that same thought is relayed to us in verse 21 also. 2 Corinthians uh, 5 and 21. All right. So before we leave this, this grand idea of Jesus' death uh, being the basis of reconciliation, look at verse 21 in 2 Corinthians 5. He who knew no sin was made to be sin in our behalf. Okay. Now what this doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that Jesus literally took on our sins. It doesn't mean that Jesus became a sinner. Right. Jesus died. He knew no sin. He died sinless. Okay. He is our sinless Savior always. Okay. What it does mean is that Jesus gave himself, God sent him as a sin offering. A sin offering. This is in the same flow as all of those animal sacrifices that were made in the old law, all of those previewed what Jesus would ultimately do for the world. We remember John the Baptist looking to Jesus and said, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's the idea. Jesus offered himself as a sin offering, as a sin offering for us. For us, And it's a tremendous uh, thought indeed. I want us to turn your Bibles with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Hebrews. And notice how this is brought out in a very specific way. He started Hebrews 9. And then we'll jump over to Hebrews 10 right fast. But looking at Hebrews 9 verse 26, talks about Jesus being... Uh, given himself as a sacrifice. <clears throat> Hebrews 9.26 For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of time to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see that? Jesus gives us the opportunity to have victory over sin by the sacrifice of himself. And then notice verse 28. Hebrews 9.28 So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. See, He was offered to bear the sins of many. And then notice also while you're there in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. And you'll see some of the same ideas brought out. Hebrews 10, verse 10 speaks of our being sanctified. Another way of saying we're made right with God. We're brought back to Him. But notice Hebrews 10, verse 10. It says, By that will, 
we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See that? So just about every time you read about uh, salvation or being justified, being sanctified, being brought back to God, it's all based on the offering of Jesus. Jesus didn't literally bear our sins, but he gave himself as an offering, a sacrifice uh, for sin. They treated him as if he were a sinner. And he took that for us. He took the consequences of our sins on himself. We read from Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, we can't gather together enough songs, scripture, we can't utter enough prayers to satisfy the, the adoration that ought to be given to Jesus because of this. When we get to heaven, at least according to Revelation 5 verse 8, when we get to heaven, we'll still be talking about, we'll still be singing about the wondrous sacrifice that Jesus made for humanity. Revelation 15.3 says that around the throne they are singing the song of Moses and the Lamb. We'll still be talking about it forever and ever. And if our hearts are right with God, there's not enough time in life to be able to give the appropriate praise to the Lord for what He has done for us. In our song books, the section from pages 158 all the way down to page 176 are songs about what Jesus has done for us. Every one of them are just tremendous. I encourage you to get the songbook and just read through some of the songs sometimes. I'm going to read to you from song number 161, O Sacred Head, just for our benefit as we're thinking about Jesus being the basis, His death being the basis of our being able to come back to God. Song number 161 here in our songbook, O Sacred Head. O sacred head, now wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns, thine only crown. What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end? How art thou pale with anguish, with sore abuse and scorn, how does that visage languish which once was bright as morn? Oh, make me thine forever, and should I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love to thee. Let me never, never outlive my love to thee. That's what I'm saying. There's not enough time in life 
to give the appropriate respect to the Lord Jesus for what he's done for us. Now, just as a matter of because I want to do this, before we get to the plan for reconciliation, I want you to think about the idea of bringing two back together. And the fact that because there is this separation, Jesus is also called our mediator. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. There's one mediator. This doesn't surprise us because it is through Jesus that this, this coming back to God is possible. Let's have a little fun with that though. What would be the characteristics of a perfect mediator? A perfect mediator. What would be the characteristics of a perfect mediator? Well, three things. Three things. First, the perfect mediator would have no part in whatever offense there is. Okay. And Jesus knew no sin. So he's the perfect mediator because he had no part in any of the offense. And of course, neither does God the Father. All the offense is on man the sinner. But the perfect mediator has no part in the offense or the conflict that's involved. Secondly, the perfect mediator is equally related to both parties. And that is fulfilled only in Jesus. When Jesus came to this earth as an infant, God said, you shall call him Emmanuel. For that means what? God with us. Matthew 1.23. God with us. So only Jesus is perfectly related to God the Father, but also he came as the Son of Man, became man, so he's also related to man as well. Okay. So he had no part in the offense, and he's related to both parties. And then the third characteristic of a perfect mediator is that he has perfect knowledge of the facts involved. Only Jesus completely knows the Father in heaven, but also Jesus, according to John 2, 24 and 25, Jesus knew what was in man. Jesus knows what's inside of us. Jesus knows our hearts, our thoughts, our, our habits, our words. Okay. That makes him the perfect mediator because he's equally related. He, he has complete knowledge of all the facts involved, but he has no offense. He, he is sinless. So Jesus is the basis of reconciliation back to God. And then notice this in the third place this morning, the plan for it. The plan for reconciliation, the plan for salvation, the plan for, uh, for being sanctified, the plan for forgiveness. Okay. And as you know, uh, from the New Testament, we understand that through a person's faith in Christ through a person's willingness to turn from sin, repentance, uh, 
and the willingness to confess Jesus, confess your faith in Jesus publicly, and the willingness to be immersed in water for the remission of sins brings a person uh, to that point of forgiveness. Notice how this is also associated uh, with the pattern of reconciliation coming back to God. For example, we read in Romans 5 verse 10 that it is through the death of Jesus that reconciliation can be made. But we read in Romans 6 verse 3 that when we're baptized for remission of sins, that we're baptized into the death of Jesus. Okay. Ephesians 2 verse 16 says we're reconciled in one body through the cross. Well, we read in 1 Corinthians 12 in verse 13, that when we're baptized for the remission of sins, that, um, that we're baptized into that one body. And here in 2 Corinthians 5, we read again and again that reconciliation is in Christ. Verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Galatians 3, 26 and 27 says that when we're baptized for the remission of sins in the name of Jesus, then we're baptized into Christ. We have that in Christ uh, relationship. And so we see here together the plan for coming back to God. And we must remain faithful after that. Here's thinking about being in Christ. Is it necessary to be in Christ? in order to receive reconciliation, coming back to God. Well, you see right here from your Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and other places, that it is necessary to be in Christ. Okay. What if a person is not in Christ? Okay. If reconciliation is in Christ, then what is the situation with a person if he is not in Christ? How does one get into Christ? Well, through obedience, baptism, baptized into Christ. Okay. And then that next question is, are you in Christ? And do you know someone who is not in Christ? That's, that's very important. You see, here in Second Corinthians 5, Paul will mention the word of reconciliation. And... We don't go to ourselves. We don't go to other people. We don't go to other people's opinions. We simply go to the Word of God to see what it is we need to do to receive the blessings of Jesus' uh, death. So I think that's where we will stop for this morning. We'll finish up some of these thoughts uh, this evening. But these three main thoughts about getting back to God really back to where we belong. We see our need for it. Some people get that, some people don't. But secondly, we see the ground upon which reconciliation is built, the death of our Lord Jesus. And then finally we see the plan for it. The plan for it. Now, at one place here in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, Paul says, all this is of God. Man didn't decide one day, you know, 
There was no meeting of a few men and women at some point in history and then man decided one day, hey, let's remove the barriers of sin between us and God. No, God has set this forth. God has, God has brought, brought about the plan to help us come back to Him. Okay. But we have a voice in this. We have a deciding voice as to whether or not we're going to live for Him. So we see our need. We see the basis of coming back to God. And we see the plan that God has given us. If you're ready to come back to God this morning, we're ready to assist you in gospel obedience. Will you please come right now as we stand together, as we sing, as we sing together.